Hey, the Carolina coast feels fills up with people during the warm weather months, of course. We know when school lets out and uh, people are doing family vacations, June, July, August, in, into uh, Labor Day of, in September. Uh, but we're going to talk about the cooler weather months and what's happening and why that's a good time to be at the Carolina coast, especially for those who like the sporting life. Welcome, everyone, to the Carolina Outdoors. Whether you're joining us via the airwaves of WBT Radio early on a Saturday morning as we blast up and down the eastern seaboard, or whether you're joining us via podcast at Highlights of the Carolina Outdoors, we welcome you all aboard. So back to the cooler weather months as we uh, uh, make our way through February and right up ahead comes March. The Swansboro area of the North Carolina, eastern North Carolina, is what we're going to focus in on. And we're going to talk a little bit about what we can do there and why this is a good time of the year to be there. Um, And Christopher, I'm going to let you join in and tell us kind of where Swansboro is and the water and towns that are accessible from there. Sure. Oh, well, it's, it's a beautiful area. And for those who may not know, we're talking down on the North Carolina coast. Um, probably you would say south of Moorhead City, but the way it's all laid out, technically you're, you're west of Moorhead City, um, really close to Emerald Isle. You're above Surf City, um, certainly above Wilmington. Sneeds Ferry gets you close. So any of those names uh, should, should get you in the general proximity of where the the beautiful area town of Swansburg is. Cedar Point's also a familiar name that's right nearby too. So if you want to head down to the water and the coast, that's where you need to set your GPS. Well, we're going to get a little insight in to tell us the secrets of this. We're going to bring on from Tailing Tide Guide Service, Captain John Mauser is on the line. He's going to give us a bird's eye view of what's happening down there, or maybe I should say a water's edge view. Captain John Mauser, welcome to the Carolina Outdoors. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I, I guess I got it right. You know, it gets crowded down there and many of our other towns uh, in uh, in both Carolinas at the coast. But right now, tell us what's happening with anglers, visitors to the area, and uh, with the fish in that area, John. Yeah, so I, I guess what I would say is, you know, February and then coming into next month, March, it's that's kind of the end or the second half of our wintertime fishery. You know, I feel like we start fishing wintertime types of fish and fisheries, uh, you know, sometime December around Christmas time, and it lasts on through January, February, and March. And then March is kind of that transition getting getting ready for that springtime fishery as other species show back up in North Carolina and the bait comes back. So basically what I've been doing the last uh, month and what I'll be doing the next month and a half while it's still wintertime is uh, focusing on uh, sight fishing redfish. That's honestly 98% of what we're doing right now. There's still some speckled trout around. There's black drums. Sheep's had to be caught. Uh, sea mullet are starting to show back up. Uh, but the big thing for me as far as fly rod anglers and anglers who are trying to sight fish on spin is the red drum fishery. Um, and basically what happens is in the wintertime down here on the Crystal Coast, the water gets cold and it gets really clear. The algae dies off um, and the water turns sometimes as clear as the in-ground swimming pool. It gets really clean and allows us to sight fish these fish. And then the other cool thing that happens is 
all these redfish or red drum that, you know, in the summer and fall and spring are spread out throughout the marsh, they start huddling up in certain areas. Um, the best way I can say it is, you know, 90% of the fish are in 10% of the marsh in the wintertime. So, you know, there's a lot of dead space, but when you find those drum, you might find a school of 20, you might find a school of 400, you know, sitting up in 10, 12, 15 inches of water, crystal clear water, and it really allows for some cool sight fishing opportunities. So that's, you know, one of those redfish we catch 12 months a year, but it, it's a real neat focus point, you know, in, you know, from basically New Year's on through the end of March where you can sight fish these large schools of fish in clear water, shallow. It's one of the most visual types of fishing I think you can do in the state throughout the year. I think I'm going to give you a very difficult challenge right now because on the Carolina Outdoors, we talk, uh, in fact, in it, Jesse Brown's Outdoors, we talk a lot about trout fishing, going up freshwater, uh, you know, working a, a, a drift on a stream, babbling brook, and that sort of thing. You know, you may have your strike indicator floating along with it, and oftentimes we we talk about bass fishing uh, where, where they have fish finders and uh, electronics technology that's helping you look into the water, gauging the depth of the water, and then getting, getting your lure, your bait, your whatever down to where the fish are. Will you talk about the experience of sight fishing for reds and, and what it is like? And, and to help it along, I guess, John, I'd, I'd say it's a bit like hunting. You are out there trying to look and see and spot before then comes the pressure of placing that cast in front of the fish. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I guess first I'll say what it's not. It's not, you know, in, in the summertime, there's a lot of blind fishing, blind casting, whether you're fishing fly or spin, you know, and you're covering water and you're casting to points and little, you know, creek mouths and places that look like they would have fish, or you're waiting for a push or a wake on the surface to kind of give you a sign of fish. In the wintertime, it's the opposite. Since that water is so clear, there's very little uh, blind casting for fish. And since those fish are, you know, congregated in certain areas, really shallow, back behind bars and, you know, humps in the sand that kind of protect dolphins and other predators from getting in to eat them in the wintertime, you know, there's a lot of dead space that you have to search. So there is, it's like hunting. There's a lot of scouting. There's a lot of stalking trying to find those fish. So once you put your time in, you know, and you start to find them, the good news is that those fish will stay in those areas if they're not pressured too much, um, you know, for weeks, sometimes months at a time. So you can find your own little groups of fish, and hopefully nobody else pressures them, and you can go in there and go back and forth with those fish. So basically when you come in, you may, you know, push up a creek or a bay, and you could spend, you know, cover two-thirds of the bay and not see a single thing, and you come around the corner, and if it's calm enough and shallow, you may see them waking, but you're visually seeing fish. So in the wintertime, a lot of these redfish aren't actually red. They're more silver, uh, almost like fishing for bonefish in the Bahamas or the Keys. But they have those vibrant blue tails on them, and you can see that. So, you know, you're hoping for sunshine. You're hoping for calm winds. Um, and you're hoping that, the, that you know, that, that you can get on these fish in that, that shallow water and see them. And, I mean, sometimes you'll come around the corner and you'll literally see, you know, gosh, I don't know, like 100 foot by – 100 foot section of just redfish just boiling around and pushing back and oh. forth and they may go from one <laughs> point to another and you know and you can sit back and you can watch those fish and pattern them uh because they're when that water is that clear they're very very aware 
of what's around them. So your job is to physically, you need to stay outside of that bubble of what scares them, but be able to put a fly inside that bubble of what they eat. So it's, it's this game of, you know, stalking them, trying to make them think that they find the, the lure, the fly that you present to them without them knowing that you're there. Um, and so, there, there, you know, it's some technique and, and some, some effort and some thought that has to go into that. And sometimes we see those fish and we just watch them cruising around for a couple minutes before we even try to approach them. Because uh, the, the good thing about having a school of fish like that in clear water is that it, it can cause some competition. So, you know, if those fish are hungry and you throw a fly in there, they may fight over that fly. At the same time, the bad part of having a school of fish like that is that if you scare one of them real bad, he'll turn around and he'll he'll scare his other fifty or hundred buddies. <laughs> he tells and they everybody. All go running. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's there's a it, it, there's a lot of work and effort to it. It's um sometimes it feels like a game of chess with those fish. Um, you. You definitely, most of the time, you definitely earn them because you have to be sneaky and figure these fish out and pattern them. Sometimes you're casting 20 feet ahead of them. Sometimes you're waiting till the school moves away and you're throwing a fly behind their tail because you watched them and patterned them. And, you know, every 30 seconds they swing and they come back and you're just setting up a trap with your fly. Um, so there's work that goes into it. But at the same time, it can also be the best fishing you'll ever do numbers-wise because when you do find them there and you find a happy school, um, you know, it's not just one fish and then you go on looking for other ones. You know, there's, you got a bunch more there. So, um, it, it, you know, some days are a little bit tougher in the winter, but some days are the, I have a lot of anglers that fish with me and leave after seeing that. And they say that was the coolest thing they've ever seen as far as fishing goes. So. Dude, your description is super cool here on the Carolina outdoors. You're making my heart skip a beat. The weekend's going to be here, uh, is here, and we're going to have to, uh, enjoy a little bit of what those fish are doing when they're schooling up the voice you hear over there captain john mauser from tailing tide guide service he's giving us a breakdown of the eastern north carolina coast inshore wise and uh the, the redfish getting it all together john i bet you are like a kid in a candy shop every time you come around one of those corners and see those fish see them in in all that water i bet your clients too i bet your clients are just loving every moment that they're out on a tour with you sometimes i have to apologize after the fact because i i I don't think they realize how excited a guide can still be about something that they see all the time but you know it it never gets old it's always changing it's always challenging and like the anticipation is constantly building and when those fish are there they're there you know you're not seeing anything you're completely not expecting them and the next thing you do you, you know you turn your head over your left shoulder and here comes a hundred fish that are 60 feet away from you and now they're 50 feet now they're 40 feet and you got the guy on the front of the boat who's trying to like you know break that trances in to, to throw a fly out in front of them so um i think it catches a lot of the anglers off guard the first time they do it because it's it's not what they expect they don't expect to you know all of a sudden see a massive wave of fish coming right at the boat but um you know, once they kind of blow a few shots and, 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 and start to understand it, they, they learn a little bit from every fish they cast to and blow. They, you know, eventually they'll put it together and they start catching a few. But it's, it's a ton of fun. And when you hook one on fly, you know, you can watch the rest of the school. It might scatter. It might circle around or 
you might have 10 or 20 other fish that try to swim with the fish you've hooked. So it's always different. It's always exciting. It never gets boring. Well, and it shows, too, for those out there who um, are interested, and we'll, we'll tee up your website here in a little bit, but there's a photography and video section on that website, and everybody, it seems, has a smile, and they're holding up something big, and they clearly are, are thrilled with what they've just come off the water doing. So I know y'all have a blast, but talk a little bit about that. Did you mention you have a photography side of things? Do you like to uh, like to dabble in that world? Yeah, so uh, most most of my anglers know me as a photographer who basically shoots uh, angler portraits. So I try to, you know, do as much as I can for them to not just photograph that hero shot of them holding a redfish or an albacore or whatever we're hunting, but, you know, to get those shots as they cast to the fish or as they fight the fish and try to get them, you know, some good release shots. And I'm the kind of guy who doesn't mind jumping out of the boat to try to get them a shot, hanging over the boat, releasing it, you know, if that's something that they can look back on, you know, five years later down the road and, and remember that trip. But um, my big thing now that I fish as much as I do, like fish fishing used to kind of be my escape. So now wildlife photography is so I, I've got uh, spent the last few years, basically all my free time that I have in the woods with a camera. So instead of hunting fish, I'm hunting bears and alligators and deer and and, and birds and all that stuff. So um, that's kind of my second passion, and it, it kind of bleeds over into uh, into the fishing side of it too. So I've never taken pictures to the point that it uh, lessens my angler's ability to catch fish, um, but once they hook up, I'm going to make sure I get a couple good shots for them to remember it by. Well, before we move on, I probably need to get you, because you're very active on social media. Will you give out your Instagram handle so we can check out those pictures as well? Sure. Um so I got a couple of them. So the one for the guide service is just tailing tide. And then um, for the wildlife photography, it's just John Mauser, M-A-U-S-E-R, photo. Easy enough. Tailing tide or John Mauser photo. And that's who we're talking to here on the Carolina Outdoors. John, we're running low on time, but I wanted to bring you a little bit inland because we're getting close to a different season. And I want to find out. If you're still doing this, of course, you're you're one of the most demanded for best uh, and, and well-known guides in North Carolina salt. But as we move into spring, there is a shad and then after the shad, a striper run that takes place on the Roanoke River up towards Weldon. Are you still guiding on that water? And can you give us a little insight about that shad run when it first starts before the striper come? Sure thing. So... You know, all of North Carolina's major rivers, the, the Tar, the Noose, the Roanoke, the Cape Fear, they all have different shad runs, and a lot of them have striped bass runs also. They vary. Some are start as early as February and some, you know, as late as April. Uh, the Roanoke River, the upper Roanoke River around Weldon or Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, I think both for shad and striped bass is one of the best fisheries that anglers can experience in the state. Um, so, Generally, on the upper Roanoke River around Weldon, the shad start showing up in good numbers mid-March, and they stay there for the, through the first or second week of April. And usually when the uh, shad are starting to 
finish spawning and go back downriver, say, mid-April. It's about the time that the striped bass are starting to peak in that same area. So there's a little bit of overlap as the shad are leaving and the stripers are coming. The best striped bass fishing is going to be the last two weeks of April and the first two weeks of May. And, of course, that varies some depending on water temp and things like that. But uh, generally what I do every year is I spend a few weeks up there for stripers. Uh, but this year, something I haven't done in a few years, I'm going to go up there and do four or five days of shad charters. Um, so we'll be up there the last couple of days of March, first couple of days of April, uh, taking anglers fishing for shad. And then I'll be going back up there around the 22nd of April, and then I'll be up there through May 10th or so uh, doing striped bass charters. Um, you know, just the Roanoke Rivers, you know, like any other place, like you've got days where, you know, you can have bad weather or the, the bite's tough. But in general, both the shad and striper bite there, even on a slow to kind of midday, it's uh, better than most anywhere else you can experience it. And, and both those those fisheries have kind of become legendary for, you know, 100 fish days. It's not that way all the time. I mean, some days you go out there and you may catch 15 or 20 fish. But anytime you can go catch 15 or 20 striped bass on a fly in a couple hours, it's <laughs> yeah. pretty exceptional. But, uh, you know, last year we had a couple evenings where um, during the striped bass season we did over 100 fish like three or four days in a row just in, you know, a couple-hour period in the evening on top water. Uh, so when it's when it's – when it's slow, it's good, and when it's good, it's amazing. So I, I try to go up there every year because I just I love the change. I love fishing that that fishery, and you know, hearing the turkeys and seeing the trees bloom and and staying boat up on fish. Oh, I love it! I love it. Now you just took us through right now, really through April with uh, your fishing se- fishing season, and uh, what you have going on. This is a very general question, and we've got the website up, tailingtideguideservice.com, but you are in demand. Is there a certain time of week that we could look towards you having an, uh, an opening that we could jump in on to book, or, or um, can you give us advice how to hook it up with you where you are fishing every day uh, and are already booked many days? Sure. I've, I've been real blessed the last year, too. Like, the, the guide service has grown a lot. Um, it, it, it depends seasonally. There are times when you, believe it or not, might be able to call me a week before in the summertime, and I still have a day or two open to go fishing for red drum in the summer. And then at the same time, like, certain seasons, like the fall to albacore season in the fall, it usually, you know, I can I can book that out, you know, six months to a year in advance. So it just depends on on what anglers want to do. The easiest thing to do if they want to go fishing, uh, my phone number is on the website uh, and email. So feel free to call me, um, and we can. I love to discuss with any angler like specifically what they want to do and get out of a fishery, and if they have a certain time frame that they want to fish, because I just want to make sure that I can give them the best experience possible. So, you know, sometimes certain things you might want to book it a few months in advance and some things you might be able to call me the week before and something's open. So, um, but all that information's on the website and I look forward to talking to anybody. I'd love to, you know, show them what I get to do every day. Proof is in the pudding and back to that, uh, uh photography, uh, your clients do have the, uh, best looking fish pictures, but that's because you are usually on camera <laughs> for, for taking those pictures. 
Captain John Mauser, thank you so much for, again, sharing all that you have going on. Uh, and especially encouraging us to head out and check out Tailing Tide Guide Service and do a little North Carolina saltwater fishing. Hey, I really appreciate the support, guys. Thank you so much for having me on, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. There he goes, Captain John Mauser, and off we go. But just for a moment, Christopher Law and Bill Barty, we're going to come back and wrap up this edition of the Carolina Outdoors. <laughs> 